Buffy and Willow sit in Professor Walsh's lecture hall at Sunnydale University. Her teaching assistant, Riley, leans against one brick wall. So this is what it is, talking about communication, talking about language, not the same thing. It's about inspiration, not the idea, but the moment before the idea when it's total, when it blossoms in your mind and connects to everything. It's about the thoughts and experiences that we don't have a word for, a demonstration. Buffy Summers, come down to the front here. A typical college girl, one assumes. Lie down on my desk. What? Go ahead. You're perfectly safe, Riley, if you'd oblige. A demonstration, right? Be a good boy. Riley somewhat reluctantly goes to Buffy. She's propped up on her arms. This feels very strange. Don't worry. If I kiss you, it'll make the sun go down. He wraps an arm around her, and she caresses his head as they passionately embrace. They move apart, and the room is noticeably darker and devoid of anyone else. See? Fortune favors the brave. Do you hear that? She follows the eerie sound and finds a young girl standing just outside the building's foyer. The girl looks like Buffy herself might have ten years previous and is holding a wooden cube. Can't even shout. Can't even cry. The gentlemen are coming by. Looking in windows, knocking on doors. They need to take seven and they might take yours. Can't call to mom, can't say a word. You're gonna die a screaming, but you won't be heard. Riley walks up behind Buffy and puts his hand on her shoulder. She turns to look at him, but there's a brief image of a tall gray man with a rictus grin showing metal teeth. And then she startles awake back in her seat in the classroom. So I'll see you all on Monday for a final review session. Man, that was an exciting class, huh? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, in the last 20 minutes, it was a revelation. Just laid out everything we need to know for the final. I'd hate to have missed that. Just tell me I didn't snore. Very discreet. Minimal drool. Oh, yay. So you were dreaming? Yeah, and it was kind of intense. Intense? Really? Because you seemed so peaceful. Of course, it was only for a moment. Right. Hey, you guys headed over toward Jed? Uh, student center. Oh, great. So this dream. You know, you guys go. Uh, I'm gonna do the thing. So I'll see you after Wicca Group. Okay, bye! Bye. So, tell me about your dream. As a psych major, I'm qualified to go, hmm. I don't really remember it. Well, did I appear at all in this dream? There might have been a cameo. Is that right? Maybe more like a featured role. Romantically? I'm not saying a word. So, what have you got going on tonight? Oh, patrolling. Petroleum? Uh, petroleum. Petroleum. Uh-huh. Tonight you have crude oil? And homework. What about you? Oh, you know, grading papers. Uh, that'll be fun. Not petroleum fun, but it passes the time. So, I, uh, 
Yeah, I guess I won't see you until... Yeah. Riley leans in, and they nearly kiss. What papers? Papers? Uh, greeting what papers? We only have the final. Oh, yeah, no, I... Late, late, late papers, I gotta look at. Oh, okay, neat. So, class? I'll see you then. Yeah. Fortune favors the brave. The Unpracticed Disorganized Acting Company presents Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Hush, by Joss Whedon. Giles sits at home behind his small but ornate desk. He's talking on a rather old-fashioned telephone. Can't even shout. Can't even cry. The gentlemen are coming by. It sounds vaguely familiar. You sure it's nothing you heard when you were a child? All right. Nothing else? Well, it could definitely be one of your prophetic dreams, or it could just be the eternal mystery that is your brain. I'll check it out, and I'll let you know if I find something. All right? Bye. Have you heard of a group called The Gentlemen? Group of what? The Gentlemen. Don't know. You certain? No. We're out of Weetabix. We are out of Weetabix because you ate it all again. Get some more. I thought vampires were supposed to eat blood. Yeah, well, sometimes I like to crumble up the Weetabix in the blood. Gives it a little texture. Since the picture you just painted means that I will never touch food of any kind again, you'll just have to pick it up yourself. Sissy. Xander and Anya are walking through the courtyard of Giles' condo building. I don't get where this is coming from. What am I supposed to think? Well, how could you say I'm using you? You don't care about what I think. You don't ask about my day. You really did turn into a real girl, didn't you? See? You make jokes during my pain. You don't care about me at all. I care about you. How much? What do I mean to you? I... we... you know, we spend... we'll talk about it later. The couple have arrived at Giles' door and enter without announcing themselves. Well, I think we should talk about it now! Thank you for knocking. If you don't know how I f feel about... I don't. This isn't a relationship. You don't need me. All you care about is lots of orgasms. Okay. Remember how we talked about private conversations? How they're less private when they're in front of my friends? Oh, we're not your friends. Go on. Please don't. This is important! Yes, but why is it here? Mom said you wanted me to swing by. Oh, well, yes. I mean, I meant after sunset. Um, I need you to take Spike for a few days. What? 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 I'm not staying with him. I have a friend who's coming to town, and I'd like us to be alone. Oh, you mean an orgasm friend. Yes, and that's exactly the most appalling thing that you could have said. He's not roaming around. If he stays with me, he's gonna get tied up again. What about us? A romantic evening! I'm not having these two shag while I'm tied to a chair three feet away. 
That's not exactly one of my things either. So you're blowing off our evening because you don't care about me? A group of 14 young women sit in a circle in one of the college's indoor common areas. Other disinterested students sit nearby studying or just go around them. 13 of the 14 are deeply into what is currently going on. The 14th, Willow, is a little bored and not impressed. We come together, daughters of Gaia, sisters to the moon. We walk with the darkness, the wolf at our side, through the waterfall of power to the blackest heart of eternity. I think we should have a bake sale. I don't know. You guys like a bake sale, right? I mean, we need money for the dance recital, and you know I do an empowering lemon bunt. The most important thing is the Gaia newsletter. We need to get the message of blessing out to the sisters. Also, who left their scented candles dripping all over my woman power shrine? Well, well this is good. Uh, this is all fun. Yeah. But there's also other stuff that we might show an interest in as a Wicca group. Like what? Well, there's the wacky notion of spells, you know, conjuring, transmutation. Oh yeah, then we could get on our broomsticks and fly around on our broomsticks. You know, certain stereotypes are not very empowering. I think that one person's energy can suck the power from an entire circle. No offense. Well, maybe we could- Yeah? Tara? Guys, quiet. You have a suggestion? Tara, the only one of the young women to be sitting on the floor, is flustered and embarrassed to now have the group's attention on her. She smiles meekly and shakes her head no. Okay, let's talk about the theme for the Bacchanal. In Buffy and Willow's dorm... Oh, not stellar, huh? Talk. All talk. Blah blah Gaia, blah blah Moon, menstrual life force power thingy. You know, after a couple of sessions, I was hoping we'd get into something real, but... No actual witches in your witches group? No. Bunch of wanna blessed bees. You know, nowadays, every girl with a henna tattoo and a spice rack thinks she's a sister of the Dark Ones. I'm sorry it was a bust. I know you were looking to go further in that department. I'd just like to float something bigger than a pencil someday. Oh, hey, how's... how's it going with you and Riley? You two seem pretty snuggly after class. See above, Ari. Talk. All talk. Do I have to tie you two together? We almost, but... Well, get with it. I need my vicarious smoochies. I don't know. I get nervous and start babbling, and he starts babbling, and it's a babble fest. Plus, every time we talk, I have to lie. The Slayer thing comes up one way or another. I wish I could just come clean. In an underground training facility... Well, you can't. Yeah, I know I can't, but it bugs me this time. This is the burden we bear, brother. We have a gig that would inevitably cause any girl living to think we are cool upon cool. Yet, we must Clark Kent our way through the dating scene, never to use our unfair advantage. Thank God we're pretty. But it's just... Buffy's special. You think she's special? Wow. First 486 times you told me it didn't register, but now I see that you think she's special. 
See, you're naturally inclined to talk too much. I don't have that. Then get with the kissing! Riley Finn. Initiate a vocal code match complete. At Xander's place. I don't see why I have to be tied up. It's just while I'm sleeping. Like I'd bite you, anyway. Oh, you would. Not bloody likely. I happen to be very biteable, pal. I'm moist and delicious. Alright, fine, yeah. You're a nummy treat. And don't you forget it. Sander, don't you care about me? Shut up. We never talk. Shut up. Sander! Shut up! Giles is alone at his desk. They need to take seven. Take seven what? Olivia. Sorry I'm so late. The flight was a horror. Oh, no. Bad weather? Baseball movie. <clears throat> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. That's enough small talk, don't you think? As they begin kissing, Giles removes his spectacles and drops them on his desk. They seem to frame one word on his notes. Gentlemen. In a clock tower, gray hands lower the box from Buffy's dream to a table and quickly but gently open the lid. It is 1 a.m. Across the town of Sunnydale, a phantasmal wisp vacates each sleeping person. These supernaturally drawn vapors rise into the air and all head to the clock tower. Once there, they are drawn into the small box as if by a vacuum. Once they are all in, which takes almost no time at all, those same gray hands close the lid. The tall, gaunt figure looks very pleased. It's a bright, beautiful morning at UC Sunnydale. Buffy rises, grabs her dental kit, and goes across the hall to the communal restroom to brush her teeth. On the way back, a silently crying young woman brushes past her. Re-entering her shared room, the sound of the door wakes up Willow, who sits up smiling. Buffy's mouth makes the motions to say, Good morning, Will, but nothing, no sound comes out. Buffy tries saying several more things, all of which fail to produce an audible effect, and she begins to panic a bit. She's clearly heard other noises, so she knows she isn't deaf. Willow rises, very concerned about her best friend. Then Willow discovers she has the same affliction. No voice. By their actions, Buffy and Willow would clearly be screaming if they had voices, but there's nothing there. Buffy looks out into the dorm's hallway. Now more co-eds are up and gathering in the hall. All are confused and voiceless. Xander has risen, and his back to the still-restrained Spike is trying to find his own voice. He spins around and points an accusatory figure at his prisoner. He says, to no effect, What did you do to me? Spike indicates that he is still thoroughly secured. When Xander keeps insisting that Spike must be responsible, Spike makes a very rude gesture, somewhat unique to his British background. Xander grabs the receiver from a bedside telephone, and the beeps of his dialing can be heard. He's dialed the dorm room of Buffy and Willow. Still confused, but far calmer, they can hear their phone ringing. Both sides of the line quickly realize the futility of what they're doing. 
In the fraternity house that is exclusively home to members of the initiative, nobody is panicking. They turn to Riley and Forrest for guidance. Riley and Forrest head to the secure elevator. Retinal scan accepted. Forrest starts writing a note while the elevator begins its descent. The note says, It's all over town. The lift comes to a jarring halt. Vocal code not accepted. Please state your name for vocal identification. Riley exhales as hard as he can onto the microphone grill. Vocal code not accepted. Unauthorized beings will be considered hostile. Please commence vocal identification in the next 20 seconds to avoid countermeasures. Riley opens a panel and slides a card through a slot over a keypad. The small screen flashes, enter override code. Override code incorrect. Forrest holds up a note that says, Come on, come on! Lethal countermeasures engaged. Riley and Forrest dash out of what was almost their death trap. Professor Walsh is standing there in a lab coat. With a look of amusement and perhaps mild disappointment, she points towards the sign, In case of emergency, use stairway. It's 10.40 in the morning as Tara enters the student center. Many students are sitting or milling about. Some are holding each other. The panic seems to be over and has been replaced by sadness and confusion. Many students jump as one of their number inadvertently drops a glass container which loudly shatters on the tile floor. On the streets of Sunnydale, all of the regular sounds of a college town are present except for voices. Many people seem to be in shock. A liquor store is doing brisk business. A priest holds a silent sermon on a sidewalk. His assistant holds a chalkboard with Revelations 15.1 on it, so the small group that has gathered at least knows where to turn in their Bibles. An entrepreneurial young man is selling portable dry erase boards for $10 each. Buffy and Willow arrive at Giles' condo, each wearing a dry erase board. In addition to Giles and Olivia, Xander and Anya are already there. Xander and Buffy wave hello. Giles puts a comforting hand on Buffy's shoulder and gives her a reassuring smile. She looks at his desk and sees that he's been deep and steady. Several arcane tomes are open and he's been taking copious notes. Willow writes, Hi Giles, on her board. He gives her a smile and a fatherly hug. Buffy sees the notes Giles has made about her prophetic dream and points them out. Giles shrugs to show the investigation didn't go anywhere. Xander snaps his fingers to gather everyone's attention. On the small TV in the living room, a broadcast is coming in from outside of their area. Breaking news item from Sunnydale, California. Apparently, the entire town has been quarantined due to an epidemic of, as strange as this may sound, laryngitis. It seems the town has been rendered unable to speak. There's no word yet what might have caused this, or what other effects might be seen from this epidemic. Local authorities have issued a statement, a written statement, I should say, blaming recent flu vaccinations. A few skeptics call it a citywide hoax. In the meantime, Sunnydale has effectively shut down. All schools and businesses will be closed for the time being, and residents are being advised to stay home and rest up. 
Buffy starts writing on one of the whiteboards. The Center for Disease Control have ordered the entire town quarantined. No one can go in or out until the syndrome is identified or the symptoms disappear. We'll bring you more on that as it develops. The message Buffy wrote is for Giles. Keep researching. I should be in town tonight. Giles mouths, why? Because there will be chaos. Says a synthetic voice in the initiative. Professor Walsh is typing. You will keep order. Dress as civilians. A military presence would only increase panic. With a sharpie on a yellow pad, Riley asks, What is happening? We are looking into it. Go. Help maintain order. We will find an answer. It is now after sunset. There are few people milling around the streets of the town. Most are zombie-like in their movements and expressions. Two start tussling. Buffy sees Riley break up the fight as gently as he can, pushing the two away from each other and making it clear that he won't allow it to start again. While Riley makes sure the less aggressive of the two is okay, the other picks up a piece of debris from the street. Hatred is in his eyes right until Buffy calmly snaps his wrist. Riley turns, sees her, and they share a tight hug. They silently check in on each other, and then the sound of breaking glass grabs their attention. They sign that they should split up, but right before making that lack of words into reality, they fulfill Willow's wish and have their amazing first kiss. The clock tower shows that it's now been 24 hours and 49 minutes since the residents of Sunnydale lost their voices. A door at the base of the clock tower swings open, and six of the gray-skinned, well-dressed figures move through the doorway. They take no steps, but hover over surfaces. Three of them carry old-fashioned medical bags. Accompanying these gentlemen are a quartet of footmen, humanoid demons in unrestrained straitjackets who lurch down the street in contrast to their gliding masters. Reaching an intersection, the gentlemen split into pairs. In Giles' house, Olivia slips out of his bed and into a robe. Not wanting to cause any disturbance, she sneaks down the carpeted stairs, but once on the ground floor, she hears a sound that shouldn't be there. She holds back a curtain and sees a gentleman gliding across the far side of the courtyard, and suddenly there's one passing right by her. It looks her directly in the eyes as it moves past, only separated by a few inches and a piece of glass. Olivia recoils. Two more gentlemen and their footmen have made it to a dormway hall at UC Sunnydale. They stop at door 118. One of them nods and they politely knock. The sole occupant sleepily answers the door, but is shocked into being wide awake by the terrifying sight of the demons that are on the other side of the threshold. The lumbering footmen each grab an arm and take the student to his bed, holding him tightly to it. His mouth opens wide, but he cannot scream. The gentlemen flow in, one to either side of the bed. Acknowledging that this specimen will do, their medical bag is opened. Much to the human's terror, a scalpel is removed and handed across his body from one to the other with great politeness. The one that now has the instrument concentrates as he reaches down and... 
in the clock tower, a beating heart in a mason jar is added to two others already on the table. There are four more as yet empty jars. All seven are in an arc around the box of stolen voices. The gentlemen take a moment to congratulate themselves on a night's work well done. Daytime. Buffy sneaks past a security guard into the room where the co-ed was murdered during the night. Giles collects the morning edition of the Sunnydale Press. The main headline reads, Brutal Sling Shocks Silent Community. A smaller headline, but still above the fold, says, 15-year-old girl found stabbed, heart was missing. Olivia has sketched what she saw through the window and shows it to Giles. She's an excellent artist and has captured the chilling visage of one of the gentlemen perfectly. This, at last, is the puzzle piece that Giles needed. He strides across the room, not for another book on the occult, but for an old, large, red volume of fairy tales. Buffy's allies, the Scooby Gang, have gathered in one of the college's lecture halls. Buffy, Willow, Xander, and Anya take seats. The lights are dimmed, and Giles has a projector ready. He presses play on a tape recorder, and Dance Macabre by Camille Saint-Saëns begins. Giles cracks his knuckles and begins his voiceless lecture. The first sheet he puts on the projector is wrong way up, but he reverses it to ask his impromptu class, Who are the gentlemen? The next sheet has a primitive but still creepy illustration of one of them and says, They are fairy tale monsters. Sheet three. What do they want? Willow enthusiastically raises her hand and then makes incision motions over her heart. Xander doesn't understand the motion until Giles puts up the fourth projector sheet. Three cartoon hearts with the word... Hot. The fifth sheet has two of the cartoon gentlemen and two houses with the words... They come to a town. Sheet six. They steal all the voices so no one can scream. The illustration on this projection has four people with their heads raised, mouths open and lines coming from their mouths to a hand of one of the two picture gentlemen. Sheet 7 is a dramatic pause with one picture gentleman and the single word, Then. The next sheet has no words but two colors. Most of the illustration is black, with a person in bed and a smiling gentleman over them, holding aloft a large implement of incision. The second color is red and has been used grotesquely and effectively to convey the blood of the victim. The page after that has roughly tripled the amount of red and now the gentleman holds aloft a cartoon heart. The tenth sheet has seven dripping hearts and says, They need seven. They have at least two. Xander snaps his fingers to gain attention. He has written something on his whiteboard and shows it to those assembled. How do we kill them? Buffy makes a rapidly pumping motion with her right hand. Since this causes a little confusion, she draws a wooden stake from her handbag and does the same motion, but this time with a prop. This makes far more sense to her friends. In response, Giles puts up sheet 11, an illustration of a smiling gentleman with three swords sticking out of it. It says, In the tales, no sword can kill them. Sheet 12 says, But the princess screamed once, and they all died. 
The accompanying illustration shows a girl with straight lines coming from her open mouth and two gentlemen lying upon the floor with X's where their eyes would be. Willow grabs a CD from her bag and then mimes the pain of a sound being too loud and causing the beings to die. Giles is ready with an answer sheet though, showing a very alive gentleman standing before a playing phonograph. Only a real human voice, is what it says. Willow's face shows disappointment and she puts her CD away while Buffy writes out a message. How do I get my voice back? Giles doesn't have a page for that and gestures ineffectually before putting up the next sheet he does have. Buffy will patrol tonight. He then raises a large book, indicating that he will go back to researching. The Scooby Gang rises from their seats, ready for action. Also ready for action are the members of the Initiative. Unlike the previous night when they were trying to be clandestine, now they are all dressed in dark colors and armed with modern weapons. 2.27 AM. Riley looks up at the clock tower, its face lit even though the building is in disrepair. In a student directory, Willow's information has been highlighted and transferred to a post-it note. Tara takes the note, some books, and her jacket before leaving her room. Making her way across campus, she trips. When she stands up, she sees the demons infesting her town. Two gentlemen and two footmen. Tara runs, pursued by the footmen. In another part of town, Buffy sees one of the gentlemen glide toward the back of a house. Unexpectedly, one of the footmen jumps out of a bush and attacks her. Tara has run to the nearest dorm. She bangs in vain at various doors, the students inside too scared of recent events to dare to open up. Another footman has joined the first in attacking Buffy. No longer scared, her slayer training makes her more than a match for them. When one of them sees her brutally snap the neck of the other, it takes off. At the clock tower, Riley has entered through the unlocked main door. As ready as he is, he's still taken unawares and tackled by a footman once he's a few meters inside. Like Buffy, his training is good enough that he quickly gains the upper hand and a second footman joins the fight. Tara is still running in terror. She goes upstairs to another floor of student rooms. She beats urgently on the first one she comes to, 219. Willow has dozed off during her research, but comes too. Wary but cautious, she opens the door. The door of 219 also opens for Tara, but there is a gentleman there, proudly holding a freshly removed human heart. The two gentlemen and their footmen that had been pursuing Tara are now on the same floor, and she again flees. She rounds a corner, and she and Willow topple to the floor. Now they run together. Riley is still fighting two footmen at the ground level of the clock tower, trying to retrieve his fallen weapon, when a third comes through the front door. Buffy smashes through a shuttered window. The two enhanced humans toss the footmen away and draw their weapons. Adrenaline hot, they aim at each other at point-blank range and then realize who they're with. Just after they recognize each other, the footmen arise and they turn to face their mutual enemies. Riley fires his weapon, the taser causing his target to fall. Buffy's crossbow is far more primitive, but also does the job of stopping the one attacking her. More of the demonic footmen have joined the fight. Now that her weapon is discharged, she reverts to hand-to-hand -to -hand and often foot-to-face combat. 
Buffy grabs a rope and literally swings to Riley's rescue, eliminating one footman while he struggles with another. In Giles' apartment, Spike takes a coffee cup full of cold blood from the refrigerator and downs it. The action causes his face to vamp out, canines extending, eyes blackening, and ridges along his forehead becoming outstanding. In the living room, he kneels by the couch which holds the sleeping Anya. He begins picking up fallen books when Xander enters the condo. Seeing just the head of an unconscious Anya and a vampire spike with blood around his mouth, he rightly presumes the worst. He rushes across the room, tackles Spike to the floor, and begins beating on the oddly helpless vampire. Since Spike can't hurt a human, he has no personal defense against Xander's attack. Fortunately for Spike, the disturbance wakes Anya and she gains Xander's attention. Relieved to see her alive and well, he jumps up and embraces her. He parks just long enough to shrug an apology to Spike and goes back to kissing Anya. When they do part to communicate with more than lips, she's clearly impressed with his having tried to avenge her. She suggests their next course of action by forming an O with the thumb and forefinger of one hand and then moving the other forefinger rapidly in and out of the circle. They rapidly exit the condo to find somewhere private. Willow and Tara have made it to another stairwell and now make it down all the way down to a laundry room. They lock themselves in, but the door shakes from the assault of the footmen. The young women try and force a vending machine to the door, but it won't budge. Willow drops to the floor, hurt, tired, and frustrated. She channels her anger mentally at the soda dispenser, and it starts wiggling. Tara sees what she's doing and gently takes her hand. A connection is made, and the giant box whips across the room to block the door. Still battling footmen in the base of the clock tower, Buffy sees one of them rush up rickety stairs and goes to pursue it. Up at clock level, she spies the jars in the box. Five of the jars now have hearts in them. Three footmen take her prisoner, and three gentlemen glide to her, one holding a scalpel. A blast of projected electricity hits the gentleman square in the face. It can't actually harm the creature, but it does frighten it enough to knock it away. Riley fires again, this time hitting a footman. This gives Buffy the opening she needs to renew her fight against the others. His weapon now drained, he jumps into the unarmed combat. The gentleman with the scalpel sneaks up on Buffy and stabs her in the back while she's distracted. Despite the pain, she fights on. Her struggle with one footman brings her closer to the table. For the first time, she can clearly see the box and recognizes it from her dream. While being grappled by a footman, she bangs her arms on a large spindle of rope to catch Riley's attention. Once she has it, she indicates the contents of the table. Realization dawns on his face, and he raises the fire axe he'd acquired, bringing it down and smashing one of the glass jars. He looks up with satisfaction, and she looks in disappointment. Still held by the footman, she uses her hands to indicate a hinge. Riley again raises his impromptu weapon, but this time brings it down on the box. It shatters! Ah! 
The demons grab their heads. Their mouths can't help smiling, but their eyes broadcast their pain and terror. The footmen writhe in pain on the floor. In quick succession, the head of each gentleman explodes like a pustule that contained greenish-yellow ichor. Their headless bodies all fall from where they were hovering, collapsed clear to the tower's floor. Buffy and Riley look across the dark room and know they have much to discuss. Much later that day, Willow and Tara also have much to discuss. You were there looking for me? I, I thought maybe we could do a spell. Make people talk again. I, I'd seen you, the, the group, the, the Wicca group. You, you, were, you were different than them. I mean, they didn't seem to know what they were talking about. I think if they saw a witch, they would um, run the other way. How long have you been practicing? Always. I mean, since I, uh, since I was little, my mom used to, she, um, she had a lot of power, like you. Oh, I'm not, I, I, I don't have much in the way of power, really. Most of my potions come out soup. Besides, spells going awry, friends in danger, I'm definitely nothing special. No. You are. In Giles' condo. So, would you say this was um, your best visit ever? All the time you used to talk to me about witchcraft and darkness and the like. I just thought you were being pretentious. Oh, I was. I was also right. So, everything you told me was true? Well, no. I wasn't actually one of the original members of Pink Floyd, but... About the monster stuff, yes. Scary. Too scary? I don't know. In Buffy's dorm room. Hi. Hi. Well, I guess we have to talk. I guess we do. The Unpracticed Disorganized Acting Company podcast is a Podcastcadia production. Copyright 2021, Jeff Pallier. This episode was recorded the 26th of March, 2021. Our cast this episode was Alex M. as Giles, Tara, and Professor Walsh. Alex P. as Xander, Cheryl, and the Newsman. Gina as Spike, Nicole, and Olivia. JJ as Willow. Forrest, and the Prophecy Girl. Lisette as Buffy, Riley, and Anya, and myself, Jeff, as your narrator. Special, quiet guest stars were Buffy, Ellen, Fiergal, and Jen as the Gentlemen. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Hush, was written by Joss Whedon and originally aired 14th December, 1999. The story was adapted for audio by Jeff Belier. Buffy the Vampire Slayer and all related elements are the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company. The unpracticed, disorganized acting company performs for the enjoyment of it and is not profiting in money, goods, or services from this presentation. Our theme music is Dreamcatcher by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Some sound effects from Zapsplat.com 
and from freesound.org. Dance Macabre by Camille Saint-Saëns was performed by the Malmo Symphony Orchestra and made available by yourclassical.org. To learn more about the Unpracticed Disorganized Acting Company, look for us on Facebook and on our website, podcastcadia.com. There you can learn about upcoming projects and how you can also participate.